We have the perfect marriage. You're about to find out. <laughs> Uh-oh. Real quick, before as we get started, again, such a blessing to be here. Um, my wife and I are just honored to spend this time with you, brothers and sisters, on that same journey. Um, before we get started again, uh, do you have any questions from this morning that we can just, that may have come up or you thought about or maybe you didn't think about it anymore? Um, here's, we'll just give a second here and maybe I can answer some of those questions. You sort of had one? Well, let's try this sort of one. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Project. Uh, that is a, a, a great statement because truly I think the fact is, is the, rec- the, the fact that the guy was praying, God, help my unbelief, come from a, a point of humility. You see the, see the difference? When the disciples came to him asking for more faith, it was, a, it was a point of prestige. It was a point of accomplishment. I'm crawling up that spiritual ladder. The guy that prayed, God, help my faith, you know, help my unbelief, he knew he didn't have any. And remember, God grants grace to the humble. So I think that's a different, great question. Great question. Anything else? We leave Tuesday. <laughs> okay. Beautiful. All right. So, um, babe, how are you? You're so beautiful. <laughs> so, I met my wife in high school. And we're high school sweethearts. So, there was bumps and bruises, you know, through that whole thing. Um, like when I met her in high school, then she dumped me. <laughs> but thank God she came back to her senses. <laughs> Apparently. Um, so I, why don't you just share a little, you know, something about yourself, about Christ, about us a little bit, and then... The Master of Ceremonies may ask us a few questions about us together. Okay. Um, David and I have been married 35 years. Um, we became Christians soon after we got married. Um, we kind of did it backwards. We got pregnant first. <laughs> and then, then we got married. It was really funny. Let me tell you how it went. I approached him <laughs> and said, I'm pregnant. And he looked at me and said, so when are we getting married? And I said, well, as soon as you get on your knees and ask me, or on a knee. I'm a romantic fool. We're still working on that. <clears throat> but once, when we got saved, he actually got saved first. And um, when he got saved, he was going to get the world saved. And that included me. And I, gr- I grew up Catholic, went to Catholic schools. Um, and when David was trying to tell me that I didn't know God, I beat him with a pillow because he wouldn't be quiet. <laughs> um, not really, I just turned around and hit him with a pillow. But, um, 
But I did get saved days later when he decided to quiet up. Shut up. That's what I wanted to say. But, <laughs> um, but ever since, there, since then, God has taught us so much. And we, we still have a long ways to go. But from that day, the presence of God has been so great. And when we talk about the praise and the worship here, when we talk about in our Hosanna days, that church, that church was in our, what is it, first 15, 20 years? How, we were there a long time and, until it dispersed. And that was such a, I want to say that was a glorious time, but it's all been glorious, um, good and bad in our lives. So we learned like the power of God. I mean, we learned about healing. Um, our first exposure um, in the church was uh, the charismatic thinking, if you will. Um, and so we didn't know any, any better. I mean, she came up Catholic background, um, and I got saved. I really was just on fire from God. That's just the way he wired me. Um, and so everybody was going to get saved. And so we get exposed to this church, and it's kind of funny how we get exposed to our first aspect of a supernatural God. So I was in business with a guy in construction. And so he, the Lord used me to minister to his family, and they all got saved. And so they found a pastor. And this pastor ministered in deliverance. And the funny thing is, it was Ed at that particular time, and this was a long time ago. Um, there was just a, an anointing where, where God would set people free. There's flying things in here. Oh, those are real. Okay. Um, so, uh, <laughs> time to lay hands on them. <laughs> um, so he, so this guy says, I, I went and got prayed and he says, the power of God hit me and I just started manifesting and, and everything else like that. And he goes, you, you need to go get prayer because this guy thought I was an uh, extremely proud and arrogant individual. So that was our exposure. And Rhonda and I went and met with Ed and had prayer and, and broke, you know, curses and deliverance and whatever that type of thing. But we really didn't have any major manifestations like this individual had. So I came back to that individual. I said, yeah, we met Ed. And I said, and he prayed for us. And he goes, what happened to you? And I said, nothing. And he goes, you didn't get delivered from the spirit of pride? <laughs> Boy, that said everything, huh? <laughs> that was like our, our first experience with God was delivering ministry. And um, later on, uh, God balanced us out more. You know, the fruits of the spirit came in. We just didn't, we didn't know any better. This is, is yeah. what we knew. And um, then we had our children. More children, I should say. Yeah, I was going to say that children thing started way at the beginning. <laughs> we, have, we have four kids. Um, our oldest is 34, our youngest is 29, and we have eight grandkids. And um, The first two th- they were all born in by the us. first year. Yeah, the first two were born in the first year. Yeah, yeah, we decided to do something after that. And then, but... Um... <laughs> one in January, Anyhow. one in December. <laughs> Anyhow, I tell everybody she could keep her hands off of me, but everybody starts laughing when I say that. <laughs> oh my! But one of the things as we grow in Christ, as we've grown in Christ and stuff, we we've had plenty of challenges, and it really is by the grace of God that we're even still together. Um, there was one time where literally I filed for divorce. 
And um, God miraculously turned that around because there was nothing in the natural that said that anything had changed in our lives. Nothing. Um, it was just a word from God. And he turned that around, and then he started building um, our marriage back up. And that took a long time. This was about 20 years ago when this happened. And, um, but it was interesting about this time is that, you know, David and I at that time both had reasons to feel the hurt and the pain in our lives. And I, I remember going to service one time, and we were actually separated. And I was driving home from church, and driving home, I heard the Holy Spirit within me say, Rhonda, you have to let go. And I'm, I'm still driving, and I burst out crying, and I said, but God, who's going to fix him? Anybody get that? Amens? <laughs> but that's why I'm like, God, who's going to fix him? You know, and not that there's not things for couples, for people to do. And uh, things to try to make. And I'm not just talking about couples. I'm talking about relationships. There's relationships with your parents, with people and friends and colleagues. Married and single. I mean, just just really quick. If you're single here, these issues, all marriages is a context, okay? When you're single, you deal with the context where you are, but it's the same principle. So please don't, don't. Don't check it out because, or check out because of married couples out here. Though it's just a context by which our life is lived. What, what we have learned in the marriage context, um, one of the most important things is that David's not responsible for my thoughts, my behaviors, or my attitude. Not one bit. And likewise, he's not... Res- Flip it around. <laughs> I'm trying to remember which way I said it. But it's the truth. It doesn't mean that we don't hurt. It doesn't mean that, you know, if David said something that was hurtful and, but I am responsible how I respond that, respond to that. And the day I get to heaven, I'm not going to be able to stand before God and say, but David made me do it. You know, it didn't work for Adam and Eve. I don't think it's going to work for us. You know, the, the blame shifting, you know, but it's very easy to do that. We often grow up with um, ways of thinking and behaving and coping and defense mechanisms that we need it as children because maybe we weren't taught what to do when this particular situation happened in our lives, and we do what we know. And as we become more adults and our brains, our brains, I'm trying to avoid that. I talk a lot about the brain and neuroscience and stuff. It bores my husband to pieces, but... Your brains aren't fully developed scientifically until about age 25. But as children, you're like sponges. You just take it all in. And when things happen throughout your life as children, you can only do what you know. And we develop some patterns in our life, ways of thinking, ways of doing things to just make it through life. And But as we grow as adults, many of us don't realize that what we once worked for us and we need it, we no longer need it, especially when Christ is in our lives. And to, to recognize that, that we don't need it. I don't need to, what would be a good example? You got a whole notebook full of them. 
um, we don't need to have yelling matches, okay? We don't need to slam doors, okay? We don't need to cuss somebody out. We don't need to do those things anymore. Here's an example of a, a client of mine. Oh, I forgot to... I'm a, I'm a clinical therapist. I do a lot of marriage counseling, and I do a lot of trauma work. So when I say client, that's what I'm talking about. I had a client, a, a young lady who... Um, had a severe anger problem. She was very angry. And it was rooted in her childhood. And this is for anybody. Um, whereof her dad was very abusive toward her. And then one day at age 15, she got angry. She got really angry. And she let her dad have it. That day, after that day, her father never touched her again. And what she learned that day is that anger was power. Anger worked for her. So she used, when we we think something works for us, we have a tendency to want to repeat it. That's what's so great about God. When you start learning about that God works, um, we start repeating those things. But just, just an example that we don't realize that we don't have to behave this way anymore because we have a God who's more than able to do that. Yeah, I mean... In my own background, um, I wasn't brought up in church. I was, uh, my mom was married five times. Um, she, before I was uh, graduated 11th grade, um, we, we had stepfathers in our house who physically abused us, sexually abused us, and verbally abused us. Um, my mom was a very hard woman. Um, she worked uh, construction. She was a superintendent on big construction sites. So she, at that time, it was a, that's very much of man's world. Not so much as today, but back then it was really a man's world. And she was very successful at what she did. So my context of what a healthy family was when I got married was a bit warped. Um, I have a, a half-brother and a, a full sister, and I have another half-brother on my dad's side, another half-sister. So we were broken all the way. Now, my half-brother that was brought up with me is homeless in San Francisco with AIDS and a drug addict. My sister, who um, is a very hard woman also, um, she's a horse trader um, and, and basically not a follower of God. And so I say all this to say this. We were all brought up in the same house, and yet it was the mercy of God in my life. And that's all I look at. I'm not better than them. I'm not smarter than them. It was just the mercy of God looking at my life. And so then God had to begin to change those things, the way that I dealt with problems, the way that as I got to know him, the way that I treated my wife. Um, I'll never forget one time uh, after we had, shortly after we got married and she was, she was pregnant and a buddy of mine, we had got us a little one-room apartment and a buddy of mine said, hey, let's go see this. Uh, it was a country, country group because country, well, that's God's music. That's what he told me. <laughs> so anyway, he, <laughs> so he, he invited us. He said, let's go to this concert. So I come, we went to this concert, just me and him, and we come home, and it was, was um, uh, well, we were pretty drunk, and yeah, we came home. So I walked in the house, and my wife is absolutely furious with me. And she goes, I'm leaving. And I said, no, you're not. And I picked her up. She starts to go to the door, and I grab her by both arms, and I pick her up like this, and I put her down. 
And I said in front of the door, I said, you're not going anywhere. That was the context where I approached relationships at that time in my life. Um, I want to go back to when I heard God tell me that, uh, Rhonda, you've got to let go. Because what, when, I, when that came out of my mouth, when I heard myself said, say that, I realized God was revealing something in my heart that he wanted to change. Even those a part of me knew that uh, David needed to change a whole bunch. Not that I was perfect in any oh, way. Yes, you were, dear. You were perfect. <laughs> um, but what God wanted to do, even though, no matter what the issues were that were going on, God wanted me to focus on me, what he wanted to do in me and through me, even though David was doing whatever he was doing. So I, I went to God and I, I laid it down, you know, and the next day I picked it back up again <laughs> and laid it back down. It was really hard. Um, and so it took a lot of work to do that. Again, going back to we're only responsible for us. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have influence. It doesn't mean that, um, oh, never mind. I lost the word. <laughs> but we influence each other, and God gives us each other, and, you know, purposely for those things. It's fascinating in Ephesians chapter 5, we, you know, when I first got saved, that was like my first, my favorite scripture, wife submit to your husband. I don't know what it was about it, but it really got a hold of my life. <laughs> so anyway, it was probably one of the first scriptures I memorized. Um, but it's interesting when you read that whole thing, and if you were just to focus on the thing that God told you to do as a man and woman, and let go of what the Bible was saying for the other to do, you would be quite successful because it says men to do what? Love and give to your wives just as Christ gave to the church. What did Christ give to the church? He gave everything. He laid his life down. So I don't care what's going on with your wife. If you're doing what God called you to do in the relationship with him, he takes care of the rest. It's not your responsibility. And so my motivation doesn't become about how I'm going to change Rhonda. My motivation, again, becomes coming conform to the image of what he said I would be or should be. Do you see the difference? And um, with the, some of the stuff that had gone, this is 20 years ago when I had filed for divorce. And, um, and we were separate, not living together. And David... Um, what I was going to say. No. Um, there were some trust issues. And I learned through what we walked through that I could trust God. This, even though we had something going on here, our testimony now is not about what we went through. It's about what God did in us and through us. It has nothing to do with the issues. It, God used them. And sometimes we think our life is about us. And it's not. It's about him in us and through us. And we got to remember that. I, I remind myself that, you know, if we have something going on, if we're frustrated with each other, you know, it's not about this. You know, it's about, okay, God, what do you want me to do here? You know, I, I'm thinking about in counseling, when I'm counseling people, um, very often, 
redirecting people to, well, what is God telling you through you? What is God wanting you to do? It's very easy to want us to fix each other. Again, that doesn't mean we aren't supposed to be doing stuff to build our marriage. But our first look needs to be at ourselves. Tell me about that couple. Um... No. Um, um, I have a, a Hold on couple. Hold a second. Names have been changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> Not that you would know them. <laughs> I got their permission. Um, a couple whose who husband had an affair and at work, and it was about a six-month affair, and uh, they came to see me, and for, you know, I was working with them, and Sam did everything he needed to do to, to, do, to make this relationship get better. He did everything. You know, he was an open book. You know, he sought God. He did everything. And, and Lynn, his wife, it's a very painful situation, you know, and it's very understandable. But what we do with that pain is our responsibility. But it also, well, let me, my mind's going somewhere else, but... Um, when a, a year later, I counseled them for about a year, and they see me per, periodically, and, and I actually just saw them probably about two months ago, three months ago, and she's still struggling. This is two years later. And again, Sam has done everything. You know, he needs to, things are going well, but she's still struggling with the trust issue. She's still struggling with some thoughts. And I, I looked at her, and, and I, I said, I said, I said, Lynn, I said, do you realize that this has nothing to do with Sam anymore? This has everything to do between you and God. You know, and, and part of her, her issue was this, her thought life, allowing her mind to reminisce uh, the what ifs and that, and that was part of it. You know, what's fascinating about that is that <clears throat> We always look at the tragedy in itself that what we could have done to prevent that situation. And don't hear what I'm not saying. We need to do everything that we can to prevent those instances. But I want you to understand something. There was God allowed this situation to happen because it exposed something in each of them in regards to their relationship to God. Now... You did not hear me say that God caused them to sin, did you? Shake your heads. Okay. God did not cause him to sin. All right? So don't say, think what, don't, don't hear what I didn't say. But God absolutely allowed them to walk through something so that he could take them deeper in the relationship with him. Let me give you a biblical example. We'll have a common story that you guys have heard about King David and, and, and uh, Bathsheba. And he has an affair, and he has the husband killed. And, and, and you realize, you know, when the prophet comes to him, he goes, um, you know, he can't even see to judge right, if you will, that, it was, that the prophet was talking about him. So we've heard all the context and everything that David shouldn't have done. He should have been in battle. He shouldn't have been on the rooftop. He should have, blah, blah, blah. We bring it all down to man, what man should have done to prevent the situation. Now, 
I want to give you a God perspective of what happened. What's the one thing that King David did not know about God until this situation in his life? He didn't know his mercy and his forgiveness. Why? Because he never experienced anything in his life that required him to partake of mercy and forgiveness. You see, you read about King David all through the Bible, and from a very young age, he learned to depend on God. He knew the power of God. He fought battles. He fought wild animals. He did all kinds of things. He worshiped God. He chased the demons out of Saul by his worship. He was a man after God's own heart. But God looked at David and said to David, David, there's something you don't know about me. You don't know about my mercy. You don't know about my grace. So David, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave you to yourself. I'm going to leave you to your flesh nature. Because the flesh is never going to choose God, is it? Not according to the word. So God looks at David and said, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to leave you to yourself. And what's the first decision that David did? That which is contrary to the nature of God. You know, you can pat yourself on the back all you want for all the good, righteous works you do in your life, but I want you to understand something. You do them because of the grace of God in your life. And if God were to ever remove his grace and his merciful hand from your life, you would do that which is contrary to the nature of God. So God, in his mercy, allows David to walk through a situation that was awful, that was terrible, that was tragic, so that he could reveal to David what mercy and grace is all about. You see, the Bible says you guys are going to go through trials and tribulations, just as he was talking about David, and you all have them. And the... Gaining the perspective of that these trials and tribulations are opportunities to grow. You know, it's very easily because of our feelings to, to dwell in our pain. It's not that it's not going to hurt. It's going to hurt most likely. You're going to maybe have some fear, you know, but recognize that, that they're just feelings. And they have a purpose. Okay, but they're, they're lousy leaders. You got to keep your feelings in check. You got to keep them in check. And as we, to keep them in check, to as we go on with life, to face every trial and tribulation, despite how we feel, as an opportunity to grow, because that's exactly what they can do for you. You know, with everything that we've been through, we've, we've grown so much. It certainly didn't feel good. You know, with the stuff that we went through, um, we look back and we're very, very grateful with what we went through. Um, we were in this cycle. I call them cycles. You know, kind of stuck in life in that repeating the same behaviors and repeating those things over and over again, feeling like we're never going to, to get out, in a sense. Um, until, you know, some major things happened, and God changed us, and it changed me in a way so much, and, and let me say this, 
David wasn't able to change me. You know, only I was responsible for my spiritual growth. David, you know, he has influence, you know, and God does bring people alongside of you to help you along, but only I can make those choices of where I'm going to line my flesh up with the spirit of God, line my spirit up with his spirit. David couldn't make those choices for me. And um, to, to have a, a perspective of it's an opportunity to remind yourself every time something comes up, you know, and it's, it's turning toward God. I'll say, okay, God, what do you want to do here? If something, you're a child of God. And if something comes your way, then God already has a plan for it. Go ahead. Um, questions. Questions. Anybody? Pastor. Yes. David wasn't around at that time, pretty much. Um, and that letting go for me meant stop trying to fix it. I kept thinking, if David only did this, if he only did it, God, you need to do this, you know. And not that there wasn't some things that David needed to do or that I needed to do. Absolutely, we needed to. But I had, a, I had to lay it down to where I've, the motivation of my heart was, was the thing that was in the way. You know, I just wanted the pain to stop. That's what I wanted, you know. But God had a different plan for my pain. And he used it to mold and shape me and cause me to grow. I grew so much over that time that I don't regret it at all, you know. I used to have a spirit of fear of rejection in my life. I was very happy standing behind David most of my life, who, as you can see, can freely talk and and <laughs> but it's a gift he has. Um, but I, I didn't mind it. In fact, I rather because and I was a people pleaser, you know, and a people pleaser. Sometimes even a people pleaser. It, it's not from God sometimes because the motivation of my heart in being a people pleaser, not that I didn't want to help people, was to to keep people from rejecting me. If I kept them from rejecting me, then I wouldn't have to deal with the pain of rejection. Um, it, let, understand something. When something tragic, let's say, happens in the middle of a family, the opportunity isn't just for the two people that are closest to it to grow in the things of God. The opportunity goes to everybody there. Family, friends, children. You don't understand God didn't make a mistake when he allowed those things to happen. It, effect, it was an opportunity for everybody involved to turn their faces towards God. So what God was dealing with her on that particular situation, it was really just about her and God. Now, he's dealing with me on a whole different thing, but it may not have been the same thing at the same time. Okay. Again, we're always looking at that. Ah, did you hear the word? And this triggered that and did trigger that. I'm going to tell you something. It didn't happen to us that way at all. Next question.
What was the last part? Oh, slam doors, cuss the paint off the wall. <laughs> Go ahead. You want to talk about our you want wonderful me? teenagers? Oh, is that what it's about? I thought he was talking about you. No, well, <laughs> good point. Both. Both. <laughs> and that. Um, well, David did put a few fists through the wall. Whoa, whoa, shh, shh, shh. He put it through fists through the wall. Um, he never laid a hand on me, per se, other than the the moving, but he was scary at times. And um, and it, it did affect our kids, too. I mean, our kids are actually very well-behaved, and we got a lot of compliments, but we also brought them up uh, more on a, uh, my opinion, is a fear-based uh, instead of uh, love. Thank you. Love-based in that sense. Our kids were really well-behaved. Um, it's interesting to watch our kids now because I, I see things, and I'm, I'm like, oh, Lord, you know, I hate to see them go through what they're going through. But what God reminds me every time I say that and, and see that, what God has brought us through, God is going to bring them through it. You know, no matter what reason or purpose behind what they're going through, I have no doubt that God is going to do the same for them as he's done for us. Yeah, and so... Teenagers are a, um, a, a, a an interesting specimen. Um, they can do things to your lives that you, and figure out buttons and issues in yourself that you didn't even know existed. Um, so, like my youngest daughter, um, who's probably the most like me. So, we had kids. Um, we didn't plan any of them. They were all accidents. We made, we told them, they know. So, I mean, it's okay. We can say this out loud. But when we, when we became pregnant with our last child, um, I got to change my heart to such a degree that I was like, I was excited to have another child. And that child did more to rip out my heart, stomp on it and run it over with a vehicle than I ever dreamed that would happen. But here's the dynamic. That's when you learn to trust God with your kids. Because no amount of anger, no amount of door slamming, no amount of anything that happens is going to break through, if you will, where they may be in their life. What changes our hearts is what God does. And what changes their hearts is what God does. So really the challenge becomes this. And I wish I would have done a better job when they were that age. But, Lord, I can't deal with these kids. Show me how to love them the way you want me to love them. And that becomes the to key in my, in my thinking. Um, something else I'm thinking about as we're talking about kids and teenagers, to realize when, when your child is acting up, to be able to not make it about you. We have a tendency to get angry, man, you know, I can't believe you're doing this, and on and on and on, and we make it about us, and we got to ask the question, okay, what's going on with my child, God? What's going on? There's very anger, emotions, again, many of those are secondary emotions. You know, you know, fear is often a root cause of anger. Hurt is often a root cause of anger. You know, there's something more going on there. And you have a tendency, many of us do, to get angry and frustrated before you, you approach their heart 
and say, I can see that you're frustrated. I can see you're angry. And I'm wondering, what's going on for you right now? You know, to, to approach it in a different way, to, to help them and not to, not, we need a discipline, okay? But to, to reach their hearts and to approach it that way. And I think another thing is this. Um, I, I talked to you this morning about hearing the voice of God. And, and if you go back to Ephesians where we're talking about chapter 5, husbands, wives, and it uses Christ, and he says he washes the church by the watering of the word. That word there is rhema. So Jesus washes the body by a rhema of God. So my, my thought would be this. Are we getting rhema from God for our families? God, how do I love my wife? God, how do I love my children? And are we patient enough to ask the question and patient enough to wait for the answer? That, that, that becomes key, I, I would think. I hope that was helpful. Yes, sir. It, it actually took a long time. It took a long time. There was so much in the way, you know, for like most of us. There's so much in, in things we don't even realize. And one of the main keys I find very helpful in, you know, what really what we need to do is renew our minds in the fact of to have an awareness of this is going on. You know, Holy Spirit, show me. When I'm behaving in a way um, that I shouldn't be behaving. I think about in Second Corinthians 10.5 where it says, you know, take every thought captive and bring it into the obedience of Christ. I love that verse because, and I use it in counseling a lot because I, I tell my clients, this is one of the main keys. If you want anything to change in your life, you need to be aware of it. You've got to stop and think about what's going on. If it's not from God, you need to get rid of it and replace it with what he says. Um, but many of us go on through life not realizing that you you have habits. Let me put it that way. You have habit ways of behaving. And so it took a, a long time to get that perception. And I think many of us really have a tendency to, tr- to try to deal with our internal stuff by changing things externally. And sometimes we do that to avoid what's going on on the inside. And this is where that awareness comes in, you know, and, and just coming before God and saying, God, change me. You know, even though this, our marriage, you know, we both were, had stuff going on, and um, I had to make it about me. Let me put it, God, 
directed because it wasn't working. What I was trying to do, trying to fix it, it wasn't working. And it's just the perspective of, I got to look at myself. Now, that's what we do most of the time (laughs) in our relationship. Now, we try to, we take a step back and look at ourselves first because that's what we can control. If you think about it, uh, David can't fix me. I can't fix him. But boy, can God (laughs) in those things. And so, yeah. Okay, in the context of. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh huh. Gotcha. 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 Um, it's funny because as my perspective changes, I also realize I see people differently. I see people differently, and I, I in fact, I love that because. You know, just the things that I've gone through. I look at people now, and I, I say, I think, uh, wow, I wonder what that person's been through. You know, when somebody's angry, instead of thinking, oh, what is their problem? You know, it's like, wow, I wonder what's going on in their lives. You know, it's, you know, just as, you know, you would look at your children when they're hurting and stuff, you know, to to look at each other, Um I'm thinking about some colleagues I work with, you know, working with people. And I work with Christians, too, you know, but there could be some tension sometimes. But it's, it's great because we, besides us all being counselors, <laughs> but each of us um, stepping back, you know, if our director says something is like kind of hurtful, you know, to be able to look back, okay, and really look at it. God, let me see. If there's anything to this, let me see it, you know. God has always got you. You know, if somebody's in your life doing or saying something that you don't care about, you need to check in with God. It may be the very thing you need to hear. And if it's not, then God will take care of it. Do do you know that when you're truly set free, there is no emotional attachment when the situation comes up again? When you're not set free, although in your mind you think you're set free, let that situation come up again and watch the emotions rise right up. That's your, that's your acid test. So um, that doesn't mean, uh, yeah, I think that's the way you've got to look at it. Yeah. Not letting people to determine who you are. The things they do, the things they say. You know, not giving them any power in that. Because you are only who God says you are in that. And so don't allow people to tell you that. It's, it's, I'm thinking about how in, in my work, it's one of the things I come across to very often is people not knowing who they are in Christ. And again, I still have a long ways to go. I, th- I think till the day we die, we're going to keep learning those type of things. Um, but knowing who you are in Christ, that you're loved, you're secure, I mean, I think about how we look for that in other people sometimes and how you, a healthy relationship begins with you having that personal relationship with God, being secure, knowing that you're safe. And then if you get married, it's a much healthier relationship. 
sometimes when you're unhealthy, you get in a relationship and you come with the expectation of that person filling the shoes of God because God wants to be everything that you need. Not that God doesn't use, when you get married, doesn't use somebody else, okay? But sometimes we go into relationship looking for that. And because God never intended that person to fill those shoes, you don't get what you need and want, and then you get angry and you say you're frustrated, you're not in love anymore. And it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with you're looking in the wrong place for what your needs be met. So if you... I don't know who who was there Thursday night. Anybody? Okay, just a few of you. Um, One of the things that we talked about was this reality of when God made creation. And it's fascinating that we've always come to the conclusion that Eve was the helpmate for Adam. Okay? Remember, he looked at all creation, and we found that there was no helpmate. And then you see how God creates Eve. Now, I want you to understand something. In humanity, we say that she's the helpmate. But guess what was the first thing that, that causes the fall? The relationship between man and woman. Do you know who your real helpmate is? It's the Holy Spirit. It's God. And so, because we've taken that woman was that answer of that helpmate, I think what we've done is we've missed the fact that really God is the only helpmate. And so when we go into these relationships and we get married, oh, now I'm complete. Let me tell you something. What you did is you just married a piece of iron that's going to grind off every rough edge you might have, and you're going to do the same thing. That's not a knock. It's just the reality of what it is. That's the way God designed it. And what that does is it points you to that relationship with God. Do you know who her helpmate really is? It's the Lord. You know who my helpmate really is? It's the Lord. Let's keep it where it really belongs. Because we end up putting the pressure on our spouses or significant others or boyfriends, girlfriends, or parents, brothers and sisters, pressure on them to perform a certain way to meet your needs. And, And that tears relationships apart. You know, and and you're thinking it's them, but when in reality, it's your perspective and expectation is put in the wrong place. Next question. Yes, sir. So what's the one thing we do and the one thing we don't do that helps continue the sex success sex? <laughs> Boy, everybody woke up then, didn't they? <laughs> We've had a very sexful marriage. Our successful marriage. Um I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you how I look at my wife, okay? I'm proud of her. She's my best friend. God's given her a measure of grace. And it's, when she operates in that measure of grace, I don't get to determine what that should be, how deep it should be, how big it should be. 
God made her just the way she is. I get frustrated sometimes, but usually it's my own fault. It's my own things getting in the way. The fact of the matter, I, I look at her as a part of me. And I don't want to destroy me because the two are one. So is there a key things? I don't, I don't think it's as simple as that. I think it's as simple as, God, let me see my wife the way you see her. I can't outdo that. My goodness. <laughs> so then you go, ditto. Ditto. <laughs> you know, I actually had a Bible verse that came through my mind that, that is um, very useful for me in, in those matters is um, Philippians 3.10. And where God says, and I like the Amplified Classic Version, where it says that I might know him. And he uses the word more intimately and more deeply. Because I realize that the more I know him, as my personal relationship grows with Christ, and the more intimate I can become with Christ, we're able to become more intimate. And that we're able to become deeper intimacy, oneness. Because I know we, we become one. You know, and we get married and and do those other things, and <laughs> and but I truly believe there's there's levels there. You can go deeper. You can go deeper, and I believe the only way we get there is through Christ. And as as this becomes deeper, this becomes deeper. It can't help itself. It, yeah. It's it's a fruit of what that is. Next question. Yes, ma'am. How, do what? How, How did we get back together? How do we get back together? I'll tell this story. No, you tell your half, and then I'll tell my half. But, but my half happened first. It wouldn't have happened without my half happening first. So, so okay, all right. All right, so, all right, so here's what we're going to do. So this is going to make more sense. Um. So, um, when I got saved, I, I was on fire for God. And so, um, we had kids. We got involved in church. Um, I was in the ministry. Uh, I, I worked, but I, I did youth ministry. I did high school ministry. I did home fellowship groups. I did missions work. Um, God worked in me in, in many different ways. Um, I had supernatural experiences happen. Um, we uh, did spiritual things. I, I mean, I, I didn't have a problem hanging out with God, okay? They're, they're, and it's important for you to understand, I've loved the Lord since the day he picked me up out of the gutter, mm-hmm. okay? So it's really for, for important for you to understand that, for you to understand the perception of what I'm ready to tell you now. After 15, 14 years of marriage, I had an affair, Okay, I got stuck in an affair for about three years. And it destroyed us. It destroyed my family. It destroyed who I was. It destroyed my view of what I thought God was. It racked my world. Because the fact of the matter is, I could not understand how I could stand up, preach the gospel, lead people, teach them to follow God, and find myself in the position I ended myself up to. Now, 
we could talk about lust, we can talk about pride, we can talk about all those things that were truly symptomatic of what the situation was. But the fact of the matter was, is that I got an affair and I had no answer on how to get out. Okay? So it's important for you to understand that I understood the relationship with God. I repented. I did spiritual warfare. I got with people. We broke curses. We did everything that was possible that I knew to do and everything that was in me to get free from this affair to the point where after three years, I looked at God and I said, I can't fix this. I don't know what to do. And God, I've screwed up my marriage I've screwed up my kids, and I've screwed up my life. So God, I left this in your hands, and I just can't fix it. And I'm going to end up divorced, and I'm probably going to marry this girl, and I'm just going to move on. My ministry's gone, and everything that you're going to use me for is gone. So I, I say it that way so that you understand that that I went from here in knowing who I was in Christ to here not having an answer how to get free. Several times, Ron and I tried to get back together. I would say seven times, at least, I broke it off with this other woman so that I could go back to my family. And I did not possess the power to execute what I had to do. And this is Romans chapter 7. The thing that I know I I ought to do, I find not the power to do it. Now, I want you to understand something. I learned a measure of grace and mercy and the power of God on one's life like I had never known. Because I thought I knew it before. I thought I knew what grace was about before. I thought I knew what forgiveness was before. And then I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. We were separated and I found myself living in an apartment and feeling like I was in prison. I'm not telling you to feel this for you to feel sorry for me. I'm just telling you the reality of what I was going through. I had Christian brothers and sisters tell me, if you love God enough, you wouldn't be in this position. They had no idea how much I love God. And they had no idea of how I struggled with my inability to get free from the situation. Now, this wasn't driven by sex. This was driven by an emotional tie that was tied there. So, this is how tragic it was. Now, we'll tell you how we got back together. And this is just, you know, when I said earlier that, you know, because we we went through a lot in this. But again, it's not about the affair. You know, even though David had the affair, God used it to change me so much. It had nothing to do with him, what God wanted to do with me at that moment. He used it. 
And, and so I, I want to make sure we go back to that. It's all about what he wanted to do in us and through it. He used it to expose something in David that God wanted to change, wanted to heal. The same for me. It was about what God wanted to do in us and through us. Um, and how it came about, I had filed for a divorce after three years, and it took another nine months, I think, for the divorce. It was like a week before the divorce was going to be final. And I was talking to God, and I said, God, I'm really looking forward to this. This is like the last tie. I know it's going to hurt, you know, but it would be the last thing, other than our, you know, our kids, you know, having to uh, relate between them. Um, and I said, God, you know, I can't imagine ever trusting David again. I can't imagine ever, you know, at that time, I didn't love him per se. I felt sorry for him, actually. And um, I said, God, I can't even imagine ever being in a relationship again. And so I'm going this way. I, I knew that either way I went, that God was going to take care of me. That's something I learned through that, you know. Um, and so, I, and I said, God, I'm looking forward to this, and I'm going to do this, you know. But above all things, God, I want your will to be done. Not thinking too much of it, <laughs> because at this time, nothing in the natural, and I mean nothing in the natural, said anything different. He was with this other woman. Nothing's changed. I've kind of moved on with my life um, and got used to, you know, being the single parent um, and stuff like that. Anyway, went to church that morning. I had my kids that weekend, and the preacher got up and said, nothing's impossible for Christ. As Christians, we've heard that many times, okay? David and I both have. And But this time, I started crying. I literally felt not pressure, but I felt something in here, and I had tears running down my eyes. I'm thinking, my goodness, what's going on here? And I knew that God was speaking to me. And the preacher, what he was, the topic of the sermon was all about Sarah having a baby, and for whatever reason, now is the time. And that phrase kept going in my head, now is the time. And I'm, and I'm trying not to ball right there. I have my kids, and I'm in service, and and I'm fighting this thing, and no, it can't be God, and, you know, going back and forth in my, in my head, and I'm thinking, then why am I acting like this? And I have journals like this. And I go home, and I start journaling again. I said, but God, you know, there's no way, and this and this, and, uh, and then my mind went back to the service. And, and just as plain as day, I heard, now is the time. And so um, at that time, I was playing softball, and I thought, and I'll just go to softball, and Oh, actually, I think I called you beforehand. I did call you beforehand. You called me. Uh, that's, yeah, you called me. Yeah. When I finally determined. In the morning. In the morning, yeah. When I finally determined it was God, I called David and I said, this is what God is doing. This is what I think is happening. And I remember him saying, do you remember? I yes. remember. Is it the same thing? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I remember him saying, you got to do what God wants you to do. Okay. That, that was what oh. I was thinking. <laughs> Okay, so let me let me bring some some what was going on. So, um, so remember I talked about Rama and an impartation of faith to do something that you said you couldn't do. That's what happened to Rana when she was in that church service. Okay, so a week before Rana and I had had a conversation, and she said to me, 
I need my divorce. And at that point, I was like, yeah, okay. Now, as I told you before, I had tried to break up with this other woman, and the bondage was so strong that I would sit in my truck and weep. And, and there was this cycle that I would go through. I would break it off with her. I would be broke up with her for a little while. Then she'd call, and then the cycle would start all over again. So this would continue to happen. So now I'd been through this cycle so many times that I had no hope of breaking this cycle. So when Rhonda called me, I was at my sister's house with my girlfriend having breakfast. And the conversation, as I recall it, Rhonda says, I think God wants us to get back together again. Now, I had no more hope at this time because we had this conversation several times. And she goes, I think God wants us to get back together again. And I'd said it like this. You do what God thinks you, you think God wants you to do and hung up the phone. Because we had become so dysfunctional and so hurtful, her out of her pain, me out of my pain and my stupidity, okay? But it, so that it wasn't hurt people hurt people. Hurt people don't heal people, okay? So when she called me and said that, I'm like, oh, brother, here we go again, okay? But I wasn't going to make a move to try to make anything better. So in two days, two or three days, we're supposed, four days, we're supposed to have our arbitration, which is basically the final stages of divorce. And my lawyer calls me the day before it's supposed to happen. And he says to me, she says to me, your divorce is over. I go, what? Yeah, she called it off. And I went, oh, wow. And then all of a sudden, for the first time in three years, I was able to look at this woman and say to her, leave me alone. I'm going back to my family. And I was able to do it. Now, I want you to understand something. It wasn't because of anything in me. It was the mercy and power of God, when God spoke to her, an impartation of faith happened to her, and an impartation of faith happened to me to do what I couldn't do before. And I was in a position to where I wanted nothing to do with him. Above all that, I didn't want to put my kids in that position to think that dad could get it right this time. And, and then my parents... You know, you know, my parents are Catholic. They're not going to understand about me hearing a word from God. You know, a lot of people weren't. Even people, Christian friends that I knew, I was thinking, they're not going to understand. But one thing that came to my mind, and this, and this is, it, had, it was the Holy Spirit. Because what came to my mind is I did not want to miss out on what I knew God can do. I had no idea what it looked like, but I knew God could do it. And it really was the Holy Spirit because there was so much to say not to walk in that direction. Nothing in me wanted to walk in that direction. I, I'm still at awe, even when we talk about it, how I even made that choice. And, and literally, I, it was by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, so she tells me this by that weekend is Mother's Day. So by that weekend, Rhonda and I make a decision that we're going to make it work again. And that other woman called me 
again as the cycle starts up again. And for the first time with no emotional tie, I was able to tell her, don't call me ever again. And it didn't bother me at all. And so when I tell you that when you're set free of something, you're set free. God sets you free. There was never, ever, ever again a battle in regards to this woman and what she, the negative impact that she had on my life. We'll, we'll go to that next part of that story. Uh, so within a week, I'm shopping for my wife. Um, within the month, we'd move back in together. Within the next five months, God blesses us with the first house we ever bought for ourselves. In the next month after that, we go on a honeymoon that we were never able to pay for ourselves, that we were never able to take, and the trip was free. We ended up on a Caribbean cruise on the Eastern Caribbean. So my point is, is that when God brought all this stuff together, he brought healing like our words do not do justice to communicate what he did in our lives. You want to talk about the work? Well, I have something else. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Okay. Um, for the first three months, I did not, with all the years that hit this, we were going through this, the fear, checking the phones, computers, trying to think all this stuff in place, you know, I, I, that, in, that sickening feeling and the fear and all those things, I didn't have it. I did not have it. It was the most amazing supernatural thing um, going from where I was as far as those things and where I was for those three months. But after that time, we had to start dealing with it. The pain, the hurt, and David did everything he needed to do. And, and it was just, it took us years. I mean, it took a year not to think about this thing for me. You know, but God is so good in the healing process of that. And then, go ahead and talk about So, God actually graced her in healing enough where she, she didn't attack me. And it actually helped me that when she needed to talk what she needed to talk about, God had healed me enough where I could listen to what she needed to talk about. So the, the dynamics in the depth of healing, again, was so supernatural, there is no way we could ever take credit for it. So this affair happened at a particular place where I was working. So we get back together. I'm working for a different company. I, God tells me in a dream that the company I'm working for, he says, they're going to let you go. Your boss is going to look at you, and he's going to tell you, I don't know why I'm letting you go from work, but I need to do it. So about a month later, I go to a job site with my boss. We get out of the car. He turns around. He looks at me, and he says, Dave, I got to let you go. I, I, I don't, I looked at him, I go, Steve, you never said anything was wrong. He says, I, I know. He goes, I don't know why. I got to let you go. So I'm like, okay, because I'm a believer. If God closes one door, he opens the next one. And so we move on. So within a week, I get a phone call from the company where I had the affair. And they offer me more money than I've ever made in my life. 
So I look at my wife and I said, hey, this company called me. And the first thing out of her mouth is, well, you're not even considering that, are you? Now go ahead. And, uh, yeah, that was my first thing. I'm thinking, I, you're even asking me. To even ask me that question is unbelievable, you know. But I was um, doing a Wednesday night Bible study, a women's Bible study. It was a Beth Moore breaking the chains. And in a particular, that night, that week, I, I don't know if it was that night, but it was within that same week, um, I don't even remember the topic of, of it, but I remember God speaking to me. As long as I stayed in the grips of that fear, I would be stuck. And, and so I, and, and as soon as I started thinking, I thought about this job opportunity. Now, as a counselor, I would never recommend this, okay? <laughs> but, it, but it was God. You know, as long as I lived in this realm of fear of David cheating on me again, I would be stuck there. And so I went home and I said, you know what? I said, if, you, if that's where you think you're supposed to be and you need to be, you know, then, you, then work there. Now, granted, we had friends there, too. They were all reassuring me and, and, and things like that. But go ahead. The point is, is that God had healed her to such a degree that she could make that decision to say, go be where you're supposed to be. This wasn't long after either. This was probably within a year of us getting back together the final time. So when I went back to that work and I saw that woman, God had set me free. I didn't even think twice. She had no effect on me. My interactions were very limited in our interactions. But God had set us both free. Now, again... As counselors, neither one of us would ever tell anybody to do that. But what's important for you to understand, this is what God and where he led us and how he took us on a path of healing. And as you can see, in the natural, this would be too difficult to do. But by the Holy Spirit, by Christ in you, you can do all these things. And just kind of rounding it up is, um, again, it was about what God wanted to do in me individually. You know, what he do in me and through me. And, and that's the whole reason I actually became a counselor. I used to sit in the counseling office and think, wow, if people only knew this stuff. You know, I mean, almost every time. And then, you know, I, was, I always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, and that's what I was, you know, for a long time. And, but then I started the journey back to school. And... Um, and I just love working with married couples and people now. Any other questions? Yeah. No, I, I, that's a, no, there is no rush. Because really what you have to learn is to be content where you are. 
The Bible says in Hebrews to enter into his rest. He that's entered into his rest has ceased from his own works. Do you know something that I believe with everything in me? That when God has something for me to say, it's necessarily his responsibility to provide the platform for me to speak it. So no, there's no rush. You see, I speak to who God wants me to speak, and I be quiet when I'm not supposed to speak, if that makes sense. So the pressure is off so that you can do what? You can enjoy the journey. I'm a desert rat from Arizona in the middle of New Zealand meeting this tall, squirrely guy. Squirrely. Oh, that's right. This I'm in the, the QK. Squirrely means, man, I just love this guy. <laughs> meeting somebody that from across the world you wouldn't dream. And yet God said, David, go here, make friends, be with his people. I want to speak through you and Rhonda to them. So no, no rush, no pressure. Oh, sorry. The greatest lesson I've learned through what I've walked through. No God. No God. Because really what it all ended up do, doing is I learned about tools in my toolbox. And even the tools in the toolbox didn't give me success. It was all about knowing God. John seventeen three. This is eternal life to know God and his son, Jesus Christ, whom he sent. So if anything, it's really about knowing God. For me, I would say one of the most important things I learned is who I am. In the sense of I was all about being a mother, all about being a, a wife, and I lost myself in that. And when this came about, it brought that back in, in greater measure of, of knowing who I am in Christ, but knowing him and who I was and all that. Amen. Thank you. Thanks.